Well, good evening and welcome to this live stream on the 31st of January 2023. Can't believe January's already got to the end of the month. What's happened? Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics here. Great to have you on this evening. And uh, we're going to have a very interesting explore of the financial markets and what's going on and what might be going on and how that translates into investment strategies and portfolios and all those things, which are actually pretty important to discuss at the moment. Before I bring Damien, I will just, uh, as normal, remind you we don't give specific financial or legal advice. This is the general conversation only. We do moderate the chat, so just bear that in mind. But I do encourage you to share your thoughts and opinions. And, uh, you know, part of the fun is uh, seeing what's going on in the chat. So uh, feel free to uh, participate. This is as at the 31st of January, if you're watching in replay. If you'd like to ask a question or get my attention, if you use that Walk the World, I'll make sure that I see it in my question queue. And that's a much uh, greater probability than getting spotted because quite often the chat gets quite busy. I've also enabled Super Chat, which means that you can get your question on top of the list if you want to do that or indeed make a contribution to what we do here. Always greatly appreciated. Right, let me now bring Damon in. Hello there. How are you doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. I can't believe it's the end of January already. We've had one twelfth of the year. Can you believe it? I know, I know, I know. January in Australia doesn't really feel like a real month, though, does it? It's sort of uh, not until kids go back to school, which was uh, today, I believe, for most people. <laughs> so uh, I feel that sort of, for a lot, that, that sort of marks the end of the rolling rolling sets of people away on holidays and sort of starts the year yeah. in earnest. Well, you can certainly tell it was a difference because the traffic jams were back today. <laughs> Lots right. of uh, people being ferried to tune from school. And uh, generally back to the standard mayhem. So I think you're right, it's over. But it, it is interesting because, uh, of course, we do have the uh, very different dynamic compared with um, the Northern Hemisphere where people tend to come back more, more quickly. And in fact, January generally can be quite a strong month in the markets. I guess that's partly to do with tax end of the year. Mm. People actually have money to put back in the markets. I guess it's also about end of year performance and how that you know trying to make sure that they maximize their performance as best they can uh, and also i guess the the prospect is well last year was so bad it can't be as bad this year it must be better so there are some reasons why january often is uh, a little bit a little bit more positive at least initially yeah that's right and uh i think the other, and the other one um i think grantham uh sort of pushes it often is the uh there's a presidential cycle effect, uh, and I can't remember which one it is, but it's uh, it's something like the second or third year or something like that, and and we're right in the middle of that phase at the moment as well, which is a there's like a six or seven month period that basically gives you all the returns from from uh, uh, over that over that presidential cycle, and so you know if you if you with the I guess all these come with a disclaimer as saying well there's a there's a tendency but there's no there's no promises <laughs> so no, no absolute correlation but but there's in, I mean Grantham's interesting right because he came out with um, yet another missive right at the start of the year and said yep this is still a super bubble we haven't actually seen it work through yet there's more downside risk ahead and in mm. fact um, Morgan Stanley uh, Wilson from Morgan Stanley came out today. Uh, and said basically, um, it's uh, don't fight the Fed. You know, bears are going to actually find you know, the markets are up, but they're going to come back down again. So it's either a bear trap or a bull trap, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and they're arguing, of course, that the market valuations in the US are actually coming in in terms of the results lower than their original 
base case. So they're actually now down forecasting the returns. And that, of course, means that the market values, particularly in the US, are probably a bit high. Yeah, so, and it's worth just uh, reminding people, I guess, how I look at um, earnings, because earnings are, um, uh, forecast earnings may not be what, what what you think they are. So so really, this first year of forecasts, and in the US, there's this huge focus on the, on the next quarter, um, it, it really comes from the company. It, it's not something which, so while it's an analyst number, the company's massage and they, they talk to the analysts about, um, you know, anyone who's outside, too far outside the range, they'll be, you know, they'll be on the phone literally to you saying, oh, you know, so everyone else is expecting whatever a dollar of worth of earnings and you're saying it's a dollar and 10 and that seems really high and, you know, where, where, where do, why do you think it's going to be there like that? And, the, and, you know, and we'll talk, literally talk analysts down from, you know, it's not a, it's not a direct change in numbers, but it's a, you know, I distinctly remember one CEO coming out and saying well, to, to, a, to, to, a, to a colleague of mine, um, you know, about... Oh, wow, that's a hairy-chested call. He called it for for the earnings. You know, you've you wow, you've really gone out on a limb there. And the guy brought his numbers back in, and, and they actually came in with the, basically exactly the number he said, but was, which was you know twenty percent above what everyone else was expecting. And but you know he, he got talked down to, to because they wanted to come out with a surprise on the day. So so there's there's one part of it from that that it comes very much from from the companies. Uh, and then where do the companies get it from? Well, most of them get it from their salespeople and and sort of the people on the, on on the line. And and those are the people who when they ask. Um, you know, what do you think you're going to do next quarter? They look and they look at their book, or they look at um, you know what they did in the last quarter, and that you know, that's what the expectation is. Uh, there's not a lot of you know, oh, interest rates have just shot up by a record amount, and you know, and inflation's starting to fall away, and there's not they're not macroeconomists, <laughs> and so that, so at um, so usually the company forecasts are very good. At, at letting you know where things are going until you hit these turning points when they become actually very bad and lagging. Yes. And so, uh, are we at a turning point? Like that's a that's a big question. You know, at each each step when you when you're looking at analyst numbers, you go, well, if you're at a turning point, you can't trust them as much. Um, so, what are analyst numbers saying? Uh, they've, so they've certainly come down. I I sort of um, you know I guess facetiously in some way I, I talk about it being the 10 percent number that's you know, next year everyone expects 10 percent. that's roughly where analyst forecasts start all the time and so the the, the aggregate's 10 percent for the for the whole market and then it cuts one way or the other it either goes up or down and eventually ends up where where it sits so it started there you know 10 bit, bit above 10 percent this time and and we're down down to two and a half for um this is for the 2023 numbers Having said that, though, um, the, the fourth quarter numbers are already negative. Mm. So we're already looking at about a loss of about 1.5% so far. Um, you know, could, could be more. But we'll, we'll see once the whole thing comes through. Probably, I'd expect we'll, it'll, it'll keep going, you know, falling away. Um, and so uh, so effectively, what analysts are saying is the worst, worst is behind us. You know, it's already happened. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, it's happy days from here. And I think that's that's optimistic at best. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, uh, what about the Fed? Because the, the Fed and the markets are, well, I mean, disconnected is a polite way of putting it, right? Because the Fed is still saying, we've got to put rates up more. We haven't got inflation under control. There's more we have to do. Uh, and even Bank of Canada, who, you know, moved the rate up and then said, but it will be high for a long period of time now. Hopefully, we'll have to increase it further. Uh, yeah. But the markets, the markets are saying, no, 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 by the middle of the year, the Fed's going to be dropping rates. I mean, yeah, that, it's a fundamental disconnect, isn't it? There is. I, I must admit, I, I, I've sort of got some. I have some sympathy with the markets. I think the Fed's done too much, and it'll go. It'll work that out later on in the year. And I don't know if it'll be cutting by mid-year, but I think I think it'll be wishing it 
by the end of the year, it'll be wishing it had, I guess, is my thought. Because I, I, they generally don't tend to move that quickly in terms of, you know, they don't do 180s that that quickly. I think they tend to sort of like to, to, to drag that out a bit. But um, uh, so, so, yeah, so... I think there's a there's certainly that disconnect and the, and the other disconnect which i think is unnerving the fed as well there's, there's this whole reflexivity argument because um you know the fed have this thing they call financial conditions and and that's what they want and one of the inputs into financial conditions is equity prices and so uh they want financial conditions to be tight and because equity prices are so high then they're loose and so therefore the fed should keep rates higher for longer and so it's sort of this bit about yeah the equity market goes, oh, they're going to lower rates, therefore we can increase, we'll go and buy lots of stuff and push prices up. And the Fed goes, well, you've just pushed prices up, so therefore I need to put interest rates up more and, and bring it back again. So, yeah. And there's another factor just to bear in mind as well. Of course, the Fed is doing quantitative tightening a little bit. But the US mm. Treasury has been actually putting more liquidity into the market. One of the reasons why they've got this, um, you know, debts ceiling problem emerging now so it's almost like you've got a shadow fed over there doing something different to the main fed <laughs> yeah yeah there is there's certainly i mean it, yeah and then that'll probably blow up into, into issues and and you know i, I don't know I, I don't i really dislike the whole idea that that the politicians basically say you know effectively to me what they're what they're doing with the debt ceiling is they're saying well you're allowed to you know we're we're we're, we're saying what the revenue is going to be we're saying what the cost is going to be and then we're saying what the profit. Then we're going to say what the the profit should be, but the profit actually is is um, is different to the to the to the revenues and the costs. And so therefore, we're not going to do. It, you know, we're not going to let you borrow any more money. And it's like, so just a minute, you 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 know, you've, you've got A plus B equals C. You're telling me what A is. You're telling me what B is, and you're telling me what C is. And C doesn't equal A A plus B. So yeah. you know, it's your fault, not 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 somebody else's fault. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. So I, I, I guess you know what we're trying to do is highlight that the market. And the Fed and the US Treasury are all sort of, you know, a bit jumbled up. But it's worth also saying that what the Fed does has a significant ramification, not just for the US market, but for all markets and, of course, the Australian market too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think as well, given that they've sort of led um, the world into this, uh, you know, inflationary uh, boom, is is the expectation is, you know, they'll be the ones to lead the market out lead the world out of it and, uh, and i think there uh, you know that's that's a reasonable expectation to have um you know there's a working on what the u.s consumer is doing um is, is pretty core to, to any sort of strategic sort of view and 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 i guess macro view of the the market is is sort of working out you know that part first and then and then sort of extrapolating out um because in the end if you know the u.s consumer is is pulling back and, and not spending um then uh, it really doesn't matter what's happening in Australia. Uh, that's going to flow through the rest of the world, or, or the US, uh, in, you know, in, uh, consumers out there spending madly and, and taking on all extra debt. Then you know, Europe's a bit of a sideshow, and and you know, that whatever whatever that happens, it will, will sort of infect the rest of the world with that. So, um, so yeah, and 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 so I'll follow on this this earnings thought. Um, so, so we're sitting in this part with his earnings, and and as, you know, I think Grantham as well. Sort of, um, you know, he's got a lot of good things to say on this, but it, it's the idea that okay, can we be, can we, can we go through uh, a six or twelve month period where we actually get, um, you know, a reasonable kick on over the next six twelve months, and you can sort of go through some reasons and and go, well, yeah, well, maybe. Um, 
oil prices come down and, and consumers save a bit of money and they take that money and they go and spend it elsewhere and that sort of helps that the rest of that economy tick along. Um, maybe there's um, uh, food prices look like they're starting to come down. Uh, some of the housing costs in, in uh, the US have started to turn down. You know, maybe there's a, a number of things you can sort of point to that that mean that that'll sort of cushion the blow and, and it all ends up being this nice, smooth, soft landing. Um, I don't think that's the case. You know, that this will be if it's a, if it is a soft landing, it'll be like the first one they've stuck in, you know, God knows how many times. Um, but you know, th there's certainly reasons you can see that that would that you know, there's a potential path to that. It just doesn't look like a likely path. So, so really, this focus right now on earnings is is for me is pretty key. Like this reporting season um, is is going to be. You know, we're part of the way into it, but but you know, is really giving some 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 good guidelines on on what's going to happen for the rest of the year and and that that follow through because if earnings fall away um, another twenty percent, which you know a number of sort of um, market models sort of looking at Ford indicators suggest they should, mm. uh, then you know markets are going to be down quite significantly. Yeah. I'd, I'd think a lot more than twenty percent. Um, if they manage to stick where they are and and or you know or, or fall to zero. And and muddle through on you know other positive effects and and um, you know, other things going on that they managed to and maybe it's that uh, you know inflation's you know falling but companies keep on companies have done a pretty good job so far of keep of uh, raising their revenues higher than what they've been raising their costs and and hold on to some more margin then um, then maybe the markets are all right where they are I, I think there's probably more downside risk I, I don't know if. I'm quite on the whole. Yeah, my earnings going to fall twenty percent just yet. I do think there's um, there's enough doubt, but I do, but I'm sort of I'm at least halfway there in terms of thinking there's there's at least ten percent more downside to, to earnings numbers. Quite possibly, you know, fifteen. Mm. So, uh, and Morgan Stanley again, you know, they're saying some similar things that you know if you start looking at the results so far, they're underperforming and underperforming quite considerably. And it's quite consistent across a broad range of industry sectors. So it's not just one or two. In the round, there's enough downside risk here to suggest that the markets are probably overvalued at the moment and will need to come back and come back quite a bit. And, you know, I, I'm probably, I have to say, I'm probably on the same page as well. It doesn't seem to me plausible that with consumers you know, experiencing higher interest rates and low levels of confidence and all those things that they're going to get us out of jail. The only question, I suppose, is whether, in fact, the China situation has enough impact. And, in fact, um, Cookie Boy said, thoughts about China reopening, is it inflationary, how does it, uh, you know, flow through? I mean, that's a really good question, isn't it? Because you can make two arguments. One is that um, China reopening is going to create a whole lot of disruption and therefore you might find that uh, you know demand for some commodities will go up but on the other hand we know that we've got the demographic shift in china we know that there's a whole bunch of issues we know we've got property prices down we've got a lot of spare property so china itself could be part of the problem rather than part of the solution and china reopening might not be the get out of jail card and yet some people in the markets are sort of pretty much to my mind banking on that being the you know, the counter-argument for all the negativity. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say when you started talking, I was saying, let's leave China to later, but I think you're right. It's a good, it's a good entry point, but I, but I just want to warn people we're, we're about to go down a rabbit hole for, for the next 20 minutes. And we'll, <laughs> we'll, come, we'll come back to earnings after that. <laughs> let's not, let's put a pin in. We won't, we won't forget the earnings. Yeah. No, um, that's, that's okay. Let's come back. But, but in a way, China is, you know, such a critical issue relating to where earnings come. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, well, well, for Australia more so than the US, right. I guess is where that. And for sure, and and to a certain extent, Europe. Um, so Europe's you know pretty a pretty big exporter and and importer. You know, lots of trade relationship with China, so they do you do really notice um, the effect. Mm. Okay, so so the first thing I want to say is there's a lot of data coming out right now from China, and um, I just want to caution everyone to take you know, that data with lots of salt. <laughs> There's, um, you know, they're going through this reopening. There, there is, um, you know, various places where, you know, there are people very sick and 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 people not doing things because of so many people are sick. There's, but on the on the flip side, is there is some reopening and, and travel and things like this are really kicking off. And so, uh, and there is some normalisation in other areas. I guess what it is is that there's enough data that's weird right now that I'd I'd just be be cautious. Uh, and the other thing to remember is a lot of China data as well, um, they actually add the first two months of the year together. So they actually don't come out with a set of data. So you, we're seeing all the data for the, um, for December uh, at the moment, but um, we're actually going to miss a month of, of data. And then they, they come in and then, go, then they go, okay, here's what's happened for January and February together. And so, um, yeah, so with all that sort of put together, I, I feel as if um, – I feel as if I don't really know what's going on in China from from looking at the the data, and I, and I think it's going to be two or three months at least before we we can really work out you know what is right and what's not. But that having said, you know we spoke. Um, we'll start with the demographics because we spoke about that uh, last time, and yep. and then um, they came out and they were worse than what what was spoken about. <laughs> so I might just uh, let me bring that chart up actually. Uh, we'll need to share your screen first, and then I can put it on the screen here. Uh, on. Yep. Okay. Got that? Yeah. Okay, so I've got a chart up here. Um, now, the blue line is the actual data, um, and then I've got these sort of two different paths. Now, you can see that that sort of flattened out blue bit, and I've... And now there's something that, that that's there is COVID effects in there, and the question, the real question is how much th there is. So, so this is an urbanisation rate, and so the idea is that um, you know you start with less than twenty percent, and then you start putting more and more people into cities, and at some point you're going to cap out. Now the question is where does this line cap out? Uh, it's I've been I think pretty friendly to the US, sorry, sorry to to the to China, and say and said that sort of by the twenty forties. They're, they're capping out around about 80%. Um, now, that's a level similar to uh, Japan, Korea, um, the US. Um, there's plenty of other countries that sort of cap out, you know, 70s and 75s, um, which would, you know, give you a much lower trajectory. Um, but, you know, well, let's, let's, let's be friendly on that part because, um, you know, I don't need to be, I don't need to make any too many assumptions on that part to, to, to show how, how bad the, the demographics look. Um, so we just had this recent set of data come out. Now, this is the uh, percentage of population moving into cities. And so we can see it sort of rose and, and you're running about 1.4% prior to this. Uh, there's a whole flattened period out because the, the data is all a bit weird. Um, uh, it dropped in 2021 to 0.8 and then dropped last year to 0.5. Now, 
I've sort of got those those two scenarios I was talking about. One I call the sort of sudden stop scenario, where basically they try and move as many people in the city, the cities as they can, and until they just can't anymore. And that's that, you know, so it jumps back to 1.5% and then and then fades away. Uh, and then the other one is the gradual change, which says, well, maybe they go back to sort of 1.2-ish and that just gradually fades away till they till till they, they get to the end, which is you know what a more typical. Um, example, but but then maybe as well. Like I've, again, I've I've been pretty generous in saying this is going to jump back straight away. Maybe we've got another couple of years of people um, sort of being a bit, I guess, shell shocked by this whole pandemic, and and particularly in China about saying, well, you know, if if you're living in the country, uh, okay, yes, I can move to the city and I can get a manufacturing job, but but maybe I get locked into the factory, and if there's another pandemic, or maybe I'm away from my, you know, I've got these stories of of people who 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 are locked in their apartments and not getting food, and I don't have anyone, any of my relatives nearby, and you know, maybe you find that um, this doesn't bounce back as fast. Uh, and so, what does that mean? So you've got these two scenarios. So this is what we've been through for the last, you know, I've sort of broken this up into five year chunks. So for the 2013 to 2017. Um, I think it's about 125 million people, maybe a little bit less, moved into cities. Uh, for the last five years, that's fallen below 100 million. Now, if we go back to that sudden stop where they basically put to the floor and, and gun it for the as, as long as they can, you're still, you know, you're below where you were for the last, you know, more than the last decade. Those those sort of golden years of 2003 to 2007, um, you're still well below that. And if you go more to a sort of a gradual one, well, now we're back to, you know, the urbanisation rates we, we didn't see for, you know, 20 years. Um, so that's, that's, your urban, that's your two different paths for urbanisation. Neither one of them is anywhere near this, this, this other peak. Um, and that sort of then overlays that with these residential floor starts where, so this is the number of, this is the millions of square metres um, of residential um, building that's going on. Now, I'll just sorry, I'll scroll back to this one for a minute. I just want to highlight that, you know, so so where we were in in you know, let's say 1998 to 2002 was sort of uh, you know 80 odd million people moving into cities, um, roughly what we had for the last five years. The difference is for the last five years, there's been like 1.6 million um, square meters started. You know, back in that other one, we we're back at that 200 million. <laughs> like it was just it's it's just a factor of like you know eight times higher or maybe maybe eight not even eight times maybe at least sort of five or six times higher than than where it was there has just been so much building done in this part here that um you know you, you know, one part you might look at this line and just go oh look it's fallen by you know housing starts have fallen by almost 50 percent um surely that'll bounce back and iron ore will be you know come away and and that's what markets have been pricing in is you know this will bounce back and and happy days for for mining stocks but in terms of just the number of people they're moving into cities um we're back to the same levels we we saw you know early 2000s uh they could fall by another 50 percent and you'd still and 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 that you know and you still got this big overhang of all these ones you built over the last five years um yeah i don't know it's 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 uh I'm not sure how to. Uh, it, it it looks optimistic to 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 assume that um, that China is going to uh, save the world mm. as as they reopen. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, your rivals about the the data itself may not be have a huge amount of integrity to it as well, which is not another problem, particularly at the moment. 
Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, the demographic data is quite possibly still overstated. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But what it does mean is that you've got this overhang of vacant properties. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff. It's like 22 million properties, I think, was the last number I saw. That could be out of date. Oh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen numbers that said 60 odd. Yeah. Million. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge number. Um, uh, and so are they going to go on building more for the sake of building more? Um, and I suppose more broadly, it goes back to the broader question of, well, are they going to build more infrastructure again? You know, are they going to put more roads and rail and all those things? Because that keeps people busy. But there is a very strong sort of direction change, it looks to me, and that is China is now talking about wanting to get consumers to actually consume more. So rather than an infrastructure strategy, it's a consumer strategy. And of course, if consumer strategy is not going to work if demographics actually works against it. Yeah, it's going to be harder. Um, look, I guess the part I, I – the bit that troubles me with this is they've been saying this for a decade or more. Mm. Yes, they need to – convert, and, and the reality is the uh, the Chinese households consume less – I think I think the stat is less of uh, the total GDP than, than any country's ever had type thing in terms of the, the – um, I have to get the Michael Pettis one. Actually, I've, don't don't fully quote me on that, but it's definitely <laughs> in terms of modern societies. Yeah. I'm sure there's. I'm sure you could find a, a historical one that didn't. But um, but but yeah, the, the skew between what goes into um, the industrial side and and how much support they get yep. versus the the consumer the uh, and how much capex is going on versus the the household is at levels you just haven't seen before in in modern economies. Yep. And and so effectively, that's the part about saying okay, well if and, and it was great. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where you basically said to all your, all your households, um, okay, Martin, um, you know, you, you earned $1,000 last year in, in uh, you're going to have to tighten your belt and you're only going to earn, um, you know, $800 next year, but I'm going to take that $200, I'm going to invest it in all this um, great infrastructure and, and, you know, all these, all these factories and things like that, and we're going to grow that 800 really quickly. And they were right. They grew it, you know. So they they took this big pay cut, and then they grew that eight hundred. Um, but what happened is they they were getting sort of twenty percent growth, and they were saying, oh, "Okay, you know, you can have fifteen, Martin, and, and we'll take another five percent and put it and, and invest more." And so that that share just got smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and and it was great while the growth was going, but now you've run out of that growth, and now it's all been debt. You know, you've had to get that same growth that just had to add more and more debt. Mm. Um, so what you really need is you really need policies now that that actually take money from the other sector of the economy and give it to the household sector. Now, whether that means privatising a bunch of these assets, whether it means, um, you know, explicit transfers, um, it means whatever it is, you, you know, putting in... Um, uh, you could, there's lots of different social things you could do in terms of um, you know, better retirement and all that type of stuff like that. There's lots of different things they could do. None of it they are doing, though. Like all the stuff that you've seen so far still goes back to saying, well, maybe we support companies a bit more. If we support companies a bit more, they'll get more jobs and, and that'll be that'll eventually be, be useful for the, for the people. But um, until we actually start seeing explicit transfers from that corporate sector across to um, the household sector, it... it it's, it's very hard to see how they can make it grow. If, if the whole economy is only growing at a small rate, um, yeah, they genuinely, if they want to get the, so, so pick a number, say it's, you know, three or 4% that they're going to be growing and they want and they want the household sector to grow at, um, you know, seven or 8%, then 
then they have to make sure that the corporate sector is not growing at all. It's growing at zero and, and all the growth is going to the, the household sector. And when you average it out, you get your three or four percent. Um, but there's no policies in, in place to try and do that. And, and in fact, the policies are about trying to, how can we get that corporate sector to grow? Um, and, yeah, and, and, just, and one little trick, of course, is um, reducing the capital that the banks have to hold, which they keep doing, right? So they're actually making uh, the banks a little more risky by yep. and allowing them to lend even more with a lower capital ratio. So, mm. um, uh, what and then you run into the problems that, um, you know, the, the whole economy is set up around the whole housing market. That, mm. that housing boom we saw that went on for 20 odd years, I showed that, that housing starts, uh, you know, has just built up this whole um, infrastructure around it where they're just reliant upon that. And, and uh, that's how they've been managed to get the growth. They just keep, yep, let's, let's go for more housing. Uh, and so, I mean, they've taken, they've effectively taken the red lines off. Um, but uh, one of the things they are doing within China is is trying to centralise control. So uh, we saw prior to Xi, uh, there was a lot of sort of decentralisation and a lot of sort of pushing more power out to the, the provinces. Um, uh, Xi's gone the opposite way, is more about centralising control. And so the, the thing for me is that uh, I... I do think that it's going to require, if you want to get the housing boom going again, and then the housing, when I say housing boom, I'm talking housing construction boom going again, I think they're going to need to explicitly go out and tell local officials this is what the case is. Because they've got, they've been out over the last few years and told them explicitly, no, no, you need to pull back on all this um, spending and three red lines and housing is for speculation, is housing for living, not for speculation. Now they've taken away the words housing is for. Uh, living not for speculation, which is sort of, I guess, as you said, implying that maybe it is all right to speculate now on houses. But um, given the, central, the the way they're trying to centralise power, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that a, a local government official who's just been told crack down on crack down on all these this lending now the words have disappeared. I don't think he's going to read deeply enough into it um, to go out and start start trying to push all these housing and, and force feed the housing market. And until he's actually explicitly told, no, no, your job now is to get the housing market going again and house construction and, and you know, do whatever it takes to, to get there. So, um, uh, but the stock market's priced it as if that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and, gonna, and maybe it will. I was going to say, of course, that's the point. So the markets have taken one particular view. And it's just worth reflecting, isn't it, that the household debt in China is mm. extreme and the concentration of property... So a lot of people have more than just one property. They have multiple investment properties, right? All lever mm. leveraged across each other and all tied up in this sort of little little, little system. Um, mm. All of which um, I don't think everybody fully understands the risks attached to that, right? So no. the, the market seemed to me to be optimistic in the extreme, and I wonder about that. Mm. And, and on top of that, they've got, they've got sort of ninety odd percent home ownership rate. So, so a lot of this is, you know, there's there's a, there's a much smaller group of people. It's not like you can sort of in Australia you can at least go, well, if I've got if I've got to put in these policies to build more houses and let people, um, you know, buy more houses, I've actually got a, a reasonable proportion of the population that could theoretically move into those. But there's actually not that that same base in in, in China to actually to do this. You, you're relying on people having second and third houses. Yes. Um, uh, I think the how the, for me the the leverage rates in in uh, of um, consumers, if you compare it to to Western countries, doesn't look as bad. But if you compare it to countries of the same size, then absolutely they look terrible. Yeah, yeah. And so, yep. um, 
So, yes. So I think um, having said that, you know, in, in terms of our own portfolios, we actually did, once those announcements came, we, did, we were underweight resources. Once those announcements came, we went back to market weight resources with the view that, look, you can't stand in the way of this. The market's going to run. The market's going to run. Um, but it, there'll be a time over the next month, couple of months to um, to start going back underweight resources. So um, yeah, we're sort of looking for the looking for that point, and and at some point we will take that. And that sort of coming coming back slightly towards earnings now. You know, there are a number of people. Um, the guy at AMP, for example, is saying in the next year or so, he thinks the Australian markets will outperform the US markets partly because of the China connection and partly because of some of the other factors that we touched on earlier. Um, I think that's a bit, again, a bit optim optimistic personally, but uh, you know, they are putting a lot of, of eggs in the China basket again, aren't they, with regard to the local economy? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got to um, look at a, the, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big step to say that um, the there's going to be enough to drive the earnings like i guess uh yeah we've we've seen uh, drive the earnings higher than what what we're seeing or, already i suppose in terms of the in terms of what's come through um sorry i might just get a before we start on the so let's let's talk about the earnings in a minute actually let's because i think there's two parts to this and, and this was any investment story there's always two parts to it is one is um what are the earnings going to do? Are they going to go quickly, slowly, whatever? Yep. But um, just as importantly is what's priced in. Mm. Because if earnings are going to grow quite quickly, but they're they're priced in to grow really quickly, then you're saying, well, okay, well, there's, there's, you're not going to make any money out of that trade, you know. Whereas if they're if they're priced um, for disaster and it's just things are just going to be a little bit bad, then it's like, well, I can actually make money out of that, you know, even despite you know earnings are, earnings are a little bit bad. So, um, but let me just do a quick. A quick fly around the world in terms of valuations. Um, I'll share a, I believe you've got that one. Sorry, Martin, I've, I've just shared the valuation screen. Yes. Yeah. Um, come up. Okay. So this is the global forward price to earnings ratio. So, you know, there's lots of different ratios we look at, but this, this one's, you know, I guess the simplest one and, and, probably the most useful. Um, basically what it's doing is looking at that 12 month. So it's basically saying from today, um, look forward 12 months. So you've got 11 months of uh, 2023 and one month of 2024 and um, look at the earnings that's expected and then compare that to the price. So when it gets high, uh, the market's expensive. When it gets low, the market's cheap on, on this basis. So uh, we sort of hit well over 20, sort of back in the tech boom, and and um, you know then then it crashed and fell back below 10 around the, the financial crisis. Uh, spent a, you know, a long time, you know, five years down there, and then um, most of the time though it's sort of been around about that sort of 14 to 16 range. And um, we had this big boom over 20 again in recent times. Now this is a, the global numbers, and so right now we're back at 15.9, which is you know slightly slightly expensive, but um, but really you know. It's not nothing you sort of be too worried about. So that that's the the overall number. But the issue is there's there's lots of different things going on at, at different levels. Now that number has some really high num really high earnings figures for resources companies in there, and particularly energy stocks because of the um, uh, the boom we've seen. So if you look at the numbers though, excluding banks, mining, energy, insurance, so basically yeah, excluding resources and, and financials. 
um, and, and we'll look at those those different areas of the market separately. Now it looks a bit more expensive. You're closing in on the 80th percentile. You're basically you're at 18 times now, um, and so the average is a little bit higher. But uh, yeah, it's certainly it's not it's you you wouldn't say it's average. Now it's like borderline cheap, borderline expensive. Um, when you when you look at the you know the world x, x those particular sectors, um, if you look at Australia, it's a similar type of story. Um, you know, little, it's a, now this is the overall market, so it's at fifteen point two and and um, you know, close to um, uh, yeah, more expensive than it has been over over the time over the, the recent time. So so you best you're basically sort of saying, well, if I'm paying for am I paying for good growth or not? And if China booms and all these stocks go, then then maybe maybe that's all right. The issue I've got though is actually I'll skip forward some of these ones. Is um, then I look at it Australia relative to the world. So you know where does it usually sit? And it usually trades at about 0.95, and and right now we're at 0.96. And you go, oh well, Australia's you know the value is roughly where it, where it's been over the last 20 years. You know I'm starting from a point of of maybe Australia can outperform the rest of the world. The problem with this is it's it's a it's a composite of three parts. Um, one part is the banks, the other part is the resources, and then we've got the rest of the, um, the, the 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 market. And the issue we've got at the moment is banks and resources trade on low price to earnings ratios because uh, banks because they're so leveraged and and um, they've got so much debt behind it, and the earnings can really swing around, especially when you go into crises. And resources because um, their um, you know their, their revenue lines are so volatile that that they can swing from massive profits to, to big losses really quickly, and so uh, so you, so companies just over over the course of time you don't usually pay up for those. The problem for the Australian market is right now is we've actually got more banks and resources than we've just about ever had. So they're 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 making up such a huge proportion that when you try and when you split this out to say okay well. Australia looks the same as the world. When you split into the three component parts, excluding banks and resources, um, we're sort of at the seventieth percentile or something like that. So, so again, it's it's almost as expensive. Well, it's it's, it's we're in the top twenty top you know uh, twenty odd percent of 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 um, sort of outcomes in terms of how expensive the Australian market is relative to the rest of the market, rest of the world. If you look at the banks, um, we're like well past the ninetieth percentile. It's basically Almost never been as expensive as as Australia. This is Australian banks compared to world banks. They've almost never been as expensive as they as they are right now. And then when you look at resources, um, again they're at the ninetieth percentile. So so the three components of the the um, the Australian market are all very expensive relative to their world counterparts. It's just that we've got lots of banks and resources which are low. So so the overall market, you know, is starting from from that point. So. I guess you'd have to make the argument that um, if you, and, and you know maybe this argument's right. I don't think it is, but but maybe it is. If, if you make the argument that uh, China is going to resume its its property boom and it's going to shove um, and 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 really get it going again back to those those heights and, and just keep pumping up more and more properties, even though the demographics have changed. Um, and Australian resources companies will will benefit from that and um, and grow their earnings much faster, uh, and then that will flow into um, you know tax cuts for people, which will keep the rest of the economy going, and 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 you know the the other sectors. Then you know maybe you're, maybe Australia's right to be priced at at um, you know record highs relative to the rest of the world. Uh, the flip side is 
Well, we've actually got more depth than most other places. Um, we've got higher, um, got more variable mortgages than most other places. And so uh, we're actually more vulnerable to the rest of, than the rest of the world to, um, to, some of these, to some of these falls. And so, uh, you know, we're starting from the, the most expensive, you know, we've been for, for a lot of these, isn't actually a good part, starting point if, if you want to get performance out of the whole thing. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're, we're priced for success. Um, if if it comes out of an average performance, then then the Aussie market's not gonna, is going to do worse than the rest of the world. We're going to have to really shoot the lights out to um, because uh, yeah, it's priced priced for some extreme success. Yeah, and thereby hangs the problem, right? And it's interesting because um, the IMF just came out and they updated some of their growth forecasts, and you know. One of the observations was that the UK is probably going to be the only economy in Europe that's going into recession this year, which is a bit of a change. But then they were reflecting again on the impact positively of China and what's going on in China, right? So they said the last month has actually given a significant change of direction. Um, I just wonder whether people are just being a little bit too bullish on all of it at the moment. Yeah, well, they, the thing is, they might be right. They might <laughs> they might have been a change of direction, but but I don't think you can tell from the stats. No, I don't think there's any stats out there that you know. You, you, basically, you're guessing and whether you think it's going to go up or you think it's going to go down, and um, uh, and the stats uh, there's too much volatility in them at the moment to to really sort of draw too many conclusions. So, um, yeah. It's, I don't know what more I can say on that one. <laughs> no, no, absolutely right. Um, yeah. Whilst you were chatting, Jason, through this question, which I think is actually quite a good question and maybe it'll take us into a slightly different uh, conversation, uh, which is why would people invest in property at the moment? Prices, rents go up, but then councils and governments seem that as a signal to increase rates and taxes and force more expensive associated with being a landlord with new compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think there is a broader question here about where does property fit into this whole story, right? And it's partly an Australian question, but I think it's a broader question because if I look around the world, we are seeing property prices beginning to ease back, mm. back in the US, back in Europe, back in Australia. We're seeing... And fall, falling quite a bit in some countries. Yeah. Uh, yeah they, in New they, Zealand, Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And we've also seen rents rise so the rent rises are not just here in australia they're actually in most other countries as well so so yep. there are some fundamental dynamics here and, and, and the question you've got to ask yourself with all those rate rises the property calculus story seems to me to have changed quite dramatically yeah so so i'll answer jason's first question why would people invest in property in at the moment and you go well tax tax breaks is the first <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably the first thing but uh the issue is you still need to make a profit so you know you can make a tax break and you go yes i've saved myself five thousand dollars because i managed to negative gear it and all that type of stuff but you know if if your price of your property falls by by fifty thousand then then the five thousand dollars you saved on tax won't won't seem as um yeah won't, won't seem as attractive uh and the five thousand dollars you just saved on tax was probably because you you negatively geared it and lost money anyway you know probably because you lost ten thousand dollars on the on that um Okay, so so we are seeing global prices come back. Mm. Uh, having said that, you know, I, I guess there's there's a reasonable argument at the moment that okay, they they're, they're coming, they they rose sharply and and now they're falling back. And so you know, over a two or three year period, you know, it's probably just a round trip, and that's probably right for a, for a lot of countries. Uh, the question now though is, um, 
but that which is it's right as long as they don't keep falling <laughs> and, and and given we've just raised interest rates and and we're seeing the the effects of these and recessions and other things come through then that's where the that's where the danger lies um i mean that it does seem as if uh yeah, most of the estimates of of how much money got sort of got shipped out to to consumers in in places like the us and australia and 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 built up their their uh their savings is being run down quite quickly and and you're at least sort of half way through it or, or further and that um you know pick your different bank but you know a lot of them sort of suggesting that later on this year is when it's going to be running out and, and then and so we've had this period where we just haven't seen bankruptcies and and foreclosures and all these things have been have disappeared for for three years yeah. a lot of it due to to um changes in regulations uh and so that's re-emerging and and i don't you know it's, it's, I think we've spoken before here is everything is about this question about how important is the actual level and how important is a change and they're both important but it's it's um I think in different markets it, it, it varies it and what I mean by that for example is is in terms of interest rates um you know our interest rates are much higher than than what they were you know we've had a sort of record increase in interest rates over the last year or so so um and uh, and that's obviously going to hurt people as they as they they come on, but they're lower. The um, the, the actual absolute levels of interest rates are still lower than what we had in the eighties. And so, you know, what's what's more important? And 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 so, or, or you know, they're even. I think they'd probably still be lower than what we had in the, in the pre financial crisis. And so, and so, yeah, the absolute level does matter, but. But I think on, on terms of interest rates, the change is what matters, mm. uh, you know, as, as more than anything, because people just get used to it. Now, when it comes to um, bankruptcies and, and all these, um, you know, the foreclosures and, and all that type of stuff, is it the change of the fact we've gone from almost no bankruptcies to, um, you know, a more normal level of bankruptcies? Is that enough to, to spark more problems? Uh, or, do, or do we actually need to go past the average rate of, of former and actually start hitting higher levels of bankruptcies. Now, I think for bankruptcies, it's probably, I'm probably slightly tilted towards the, the absolute level, but I do think the change matters. And so, uh, and that's going to, that's really going to be a big determinant for me about housing prices uh, and for, um, and the effects on the rest of the economy as well is, is how bad that gets. Now, to date, again, with the, the, the data's really just, uh, it's come up to average, I think, is, is basically where we are. It doesn't look terrible. But um, if it keeps going the way it's going, um, then you know that's that's where we run and start running to these problems. And I think that's probably it. Probably it feels like the same answer I gave to the to the earnings. I think mm. things are going to get a fair bit worse. Mm. I'm not positive about it, but I think you need to be prepared for things to get worse. And you know, I guess it's you know, diversified portfolios and all those types of things. But it's but it is about um, you know, not wetting yourself to one 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 path. But I think I think the the, the most likely path to me would seem to be that you know certainly recessions and and other um, and and much more much weaker and so where that leads to property I've come a long way around that question haven't I <laughs> what was the next what was the second part of his question again the first part was why would you invest in property oh there's, there's, sorry that's right and that's and that's what I was getting to is is you know we've taken off the froth now the question is do we um, do we start to eat into those and, and that's a uh, that'll be a question for how long central banks keep these these rates where they are. Mm. 
but um, uh, yeah, given the lags. And, of course, there's a subsequent question in the negative gearing stuff. Is that likely to get touched? I think probably not. I mean, the Labor, <laughs> the Labor Party tried and failed miserably. Um, and it's a big it's a big impost, particularly as interest rates rise, because effectively the, the, the negative gearing is a bigger tax offset, which means that you're actually taking a bigger chunk out of the, out of the tax take from everybody else. But I don't think anybody's going to touch it, so I think we can pretty much assume that's going to be a feature for, for some time to come. And the other factor that I see in my surveys is that people are saying, well, when I think about property, um, you know, and particularly investing in property, I'm thinking long term. I'm thinking not just two or three years. I'm thinking five, 10, 15 years. So in the long term, property prices might, might do quite well. Um, but also, I will just make the point Jason talked about investing in property there's a difference I think between investing in property from a financial returns perspective and buying a property for somewhere to live and actually a massive difference actually mm. the problem is that many people get those two thought worlds scrambled when they are thinking about whether they're buying or not and, and they are sort of almost yes. using the wrong set of lenses to make a decision Right, which is something I'm pretty passionate about because I actually think the logic is completely different if you think of it as somewhere to live rather than actually as an investment. Yeah, absolutely. As somewhere to live, you know, there's obviously lifestyle issues, but there's also the, the you're you're about avoiding your costs mm. of, of having to pay you know increased rent over time, um, as opposed to um, as opposed to saying, okay, now I'm now I'm actually going to try and profit from that. And and the other the other one, I, the other common mistake I, I see is that. Um, People look at property and say, I can leverage the, you know, the crap out of that. So I can buy, you know, I can stick a million dollars in, I can borrow 900,000 and, you know, stick a hundred thousand dollars in and, and, um, you know, it goes up by a hundred thousand, I've doubled my money mm. and they're not paying attention to the risk side. Yeah. The reverse yeah, is that, also true, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Is that leverage works just, on the way up, it works on the way down. Yeah. yeah, and so property overall is less risky than equities and and, and other assets. Um, yeah, well, partly it's, because it's, it's it's less liquid, though. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a really important point. And I, I was talking to somebody today who hadn't quite twigged just how illiquid property is. You need to find a buyer if you need to sell, right? Yes, you only need one buyer, but you still got to find a buyer, right? Yeah. Whereas, and, if, you know, if you think of stocks, there's always hmm. some sort of market. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and and. Um, but but if you've got a, this one asset that's got to say um, you know, equities, if you let's just me talk volatility and 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 just I guess in relative terms, you know you, bonds are sort of you know four or five percent, equities are sort of fifteen to twenty percent, properties maybe in the in the five to ten percent. But if you've just leveraged it up by ten times, <laughs> then you've gone from being less volatile than equities to way more volatile than equities in terms of the returns you're going to get and so yeah so there's that part of it and what you're saying about that that um buying you know if you talk to anyone in say in commercial property particularly people who look at um uh you know the one i get for a lot of retail investors is is often a regional sort of industrial property and things like that and you look at these ones in Whatever, pick pick a country town of hundred thousand people or fifty thousand people, and yeah, you can you can buy this property and you might get a 12 percent yield on it, and, and that's great until your tenant moves out and you can't you can't lease it for five years, and then you want to sell it, and actually you've got to wait for the next property boom to sell it. You basically you know the the, the joke with those ones is you know you you get the only time you can sell it is, is in a property boom. You, you can always you know you always sell at the top of the cycle because that's the only time you can sell it because if you don't sell at the top of the cycle, well you're holding on until the next cycle. Yeah. 
And so, um, yeah, and so the, the warning with a lot of those is that, um, yeah, you can look at some of those and go, wow, how fantastic are these yields you're getting? And, and But you're getting those yields because of that illiquidity and because of that risk and because, yeah, especially in regional areas, somebody moves out, you might be five years before you find somebody else. Yep, absolutely. And that, that really just puts the risk story in a very different perspective. And I, I, I always get a bit worried when people declare property as a safe and secure and low risk investment right it, mm. sometimes it is but sometimes it isn't and you can yeah. say this is exactly the same about stocks or or other investment classes too which i suppose comes back to the fundamental question about investment portfolios right and, and i wonder how many people have an investment portfolio but don't think of the property as part of the investment portfolio you know maybe that's what they, they should because maybe they've got it out of kilter i don't know it's an interesting mm. asset allocation question yeah and and i i'm always on i've probably spoken on this this program a few times so apologies for people that's that are sick of hearing me say this but you know it's the, it's the people who have six different flavors think they're diversified but they've just got six different flavors of, of exposure to the australian property market because they've got shares which which are focused on you know say things like harvey norman and and the banks and stuff like that and so um you know it's a uh you're basically buying stocks that are, that are leveraged to the housing market. You might have some some hybrids and stuff like that from these same banks that are leveraged to the housing market. You have corporate debt, which may or may not have some exposure then. And then you've got your own house you're living in and and maybe you work for a bank or maybe you work for a property developer or something like that. And you're just like, you know, you're, you're all in on, on, on the one trade. You need to sort of think about what are the stocks I'm buying or the debt instruments I'm buying or, or wherever it is. You know which ones of those are leveraged to the property market and which ones are have actually got um you know different exposure mm, absolutely well let's talk about another asset class or you know w w within the portfolio because tech stocks have started to move quite strongly in a different direction from what we saw last year so we saw a considerable decrease mm. and some of that was to do with the fact that uh, a lot of tech doesn't make much in the way of returns at the moment so their future value is discounted by the interest rates as interest rates go up their future value goes down so the value of the property uh, for the value of the uh, the business goes down but we start mm. to see that reverse now and we've started to see some tech companies begin to move up again and I, again i wonder whether that's a little bit of over optimistic hubris with regard to what's gone on because to my mind nothing fundamentally has really shifted into a different gear yeah and look this I guess I'd, 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 in terms of tech, I think it's worth just highlighting there's there's a couple of different parts of tech, and some parts are are have got very stable earnings and and you know that they're, they're uh, long histories and I guess uh, slow slower moving um, capex cycles. So let me take a stock like um, Cisco for example makes routers. And so routers, the technology really doesn't change that much from year to year. It's it's a sort of gradual increase, and it gets faster and and you know more efficient and, and things like that. But um, it's not about um, so the people that are buying these, putting them in, and they're expecting them to last 10, 20 years, and and um, there's not this sort of sudden flip around. Whereas uh, at the other end something like a, you know, an Intel or an AMD coming out with the latest chips or, or Qualcomm. And, you know, if, you're, if you've got the latest, fastest chip uh, and, and cheaper than everyone else, then you're going to sell way more chips this year and next year. And, and you know, nobody cares that 
Intel's been around for ages. If, if, if they're falling behind now, then um, you know, they're going to lose that market. And so it's all about your, your latest hit. You know, are you as good as your latest hit? And so they're much more fast moving. And the CapEx cycles sort of come in, in um, uh, quite quickly in terms of those stocks. Uh, so that's sort of two ends of that market. Then you've got the tech market, which is the um, you know the, the older, more stable things like your Microsofts and Googles and and, and things like that, which are um, you know, pretty well established businesses now. And then you have your your sort of pointier end of it, where um, the companies that aren't making money and and have got you know the next latest and greatest project and and they they're you know losing on the current one, but they've got these projections about you know all this money they make. Let's say it's um you know your Uber Eats and you know all those um uh doordash and you know those types of ones where you say okay it's, it's a technology type company and it's got you know and so uh i'd be careful to look at them in different ways mm. because i think what's what we've probably seen is that, yes they have risen sort of as a group um there's a bunch of ones in there which i think are quite uh, have looked quite good value and, and are cheap and high quality and so you know happy to own um on the sort of sort of microsoft type type of end of it where the prices have come down and and yeah they look they look good um then there's that that higher risk loss making ones, and and really for those is it's a bit of a I guess a leverage bet on the rest of the market in terms of saying look when the markets it's a bit like cryptocurrency in a way you know when when everything's when everyone's talking about hey imagining how great things are and and it flips from from fear to greed then they're the stocks that are going to boom the most um, but the issue is it flips back to fear again uh, they're the stocks that can bust the most as well. And um, whereas I think some of the more stable ones, we're actually getting the earnings behind it, um, you know, like your Microsofts and, and ones like that and sort of higher quality businesses, then, um, you know, when, the, when it flips back to fear, first, they can't fall as far because you've actually got earnings to underpin it. But, but secondly, you are getting reasonable dividends and, and you can sort of see that, oh, well, look, if this stock doesn't recover, I'm, I'm happy to get a dividend that's, you know, whatever, four or 5% and just grows every year. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll take that as a return. And then, um, you know, eventually the, the price will come good. So whereas the stocks that are the losing money is actually, well, no, you know, prices fall and people have to tip more money in because they need more capital in order to keep running the business they're running. And 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 they're the dangerous ones where it's a, um, yeah, it, it is a, it's a play on uh, the sentiment and, and, and things like that more so than, than a, um, an, you know, a direct investment call, I think, on, on that, those individual stocks. Yeah, and I'll give you a good example at the moment. You know, AI is flavour of the month, right? And so anything with an AI flavour attachment to it is suddenly perceived to be way more valuable than it was, right? Again, <clears throat> I'm, I'm highly sceptical. I'm afraid that um, judging by the number of um, emails I get in my inbox at the moment saying, hey, did you know you can double your money if you use this AI or, you know, everybody's now going on the AI bandwagon, which suggests to me that actually, whilst there's some, probably some good stuff in the middle of it, there's a lot of rubbish as well. Yeah, look, and and I mean, this, I'm going to make a bit of a social commentary on the whole yeah. chat, chat GPT as well, yeah, now, because I think there's, um, you know, I'm assuming most people know what, what chat GPT is and, and, and have probably had a bit of a play with it. Um, it's, it's a very, so, um, I'd, I'd been using similar types of things last year and and sort of just playing around with some of them and, and they're very good at, at at you know you give it a few bullet points and it comes up and 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 gives you quite coherent um uh you know articles that it can write is that i do think there, there'll be a proliferation of people who are who in terms of websites and and 
looking for content because that sort of is, you know it's, a, it's obviously a big market of people going you know I want content to fill my my website going I'll oh, write me an article about whatever you know the best way to you know whatever fry something or the best way to to make this or, or cure the whatever. best way to make money on stocks is <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> um and so those types of ones that are like okay just content filler is going to come quickly and easily and 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 i think that's going to be a proliferation and explosion of those i'm quite interested in the whole part about going saying saying though we still need an original thought somewhere you know at the, at the heart of this and so I wonder actually if what we might find is some ideas that actually get propagated faster than than they used to in terms of it being, um, you know, I write a story which is relatively unique about something, and then all these robots all pick up on my story and 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 reword it and, and put it on other people's websites. Is that that idea might actually find it spreads actually a lot faster because we've got so many websites, and if they're copying from each other and they're all. Um, <laughs> you're copying from each other and they're all sort of you know cheating off each other's homework you, you you're not getting anything original out of that it's mm -hmm. actually that you know the, the actual people sitting at the bottom who are writing originals maybe they don't get credit for it but um but yeah and and then the other thing on um i just saw a comment coming up about chat tvpt and stock markets so i've seen a lot of stuff on ai and stock markets i mean people they've been playing for years um with it uh you can get some fantastic uh historical returns that you know oh this is what i would have bought you know if i've got these things and and a lot of that artificial intelligence um a lot of it it depends on you know there's a whole these different models about how you can train it and, and um some of them are um it's sort of like this massive th data thrown at these these models and and the data comes out and and and, and you don't actually know why it's doing things so you know, you're reading this article and it's giving you this article about you know what the best way to, to bake a muffin and and you're like well i don't know why it's chosen this one and that one but it has and it's come out and it's pretty good um in the stock market it goes okay we've just bought all these stocks and then you you're like well why have you bought it and, and it's like well the model is pretty hard to tell and sometimes you if you dig back through and you might find well yeah, we bought companies starting with the letter A on Tuesdays, and then on Wednesdays we bought companies starting with the letter K, and then we wanted ones with a, th a three-ticker symbol versus a four-ticker one, you know, on the on the third Monday of the week, and you're like, just a minute. All you've done is taken this massive data and, and backtracked it to to completely obscure things to come up with the reasons as to why you, you, you've done it, and it's something that isn't going to work going forward. It's sort of all, you know, it's all based on spurious correlations and 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 things that just you know aren't aren't going to uh, continue. But but the problem is with a lot of these models, you just can't tell from from looking at them. You just don't know what they're doing. They're just like, well, you know, if you had have just listened to me, then I would have made you all this money. And you're like, okay, well, great. Now let's turn it on and go forward. And, and it's um it never works. So, no, well, it's very interesting because years ago I was involved in capital markets, and you you had these um black boxes where we had all the inputs and all the outputs right but nobody really knew what went on inside the the black box and, yeah. and, and there were loads of people claiming that they could you know outwit the market and make massive returns mm. well they did occasionally but actually only 50 percent of the time the rest of the time they were actually pretty bad and if you look at the average over a period actually it was just an average over a period so sometimes these uh, high-tech solutions don't necessarily uh, actually uh, meet the um you know as advertised right but it, there's yeah. a lot of hype there's a lot mm. of people who make a lot of money on the way through because of course they're involved in hyping yeah that's right so so i guess where i, I see that where artificial intelligence is good is where there where there is a definitive answer 
and you can look at things and say, um, you know, is this a cat? Is this not a cat? Okay, if I'm, you know, or I'm driving a car, is that a person walking across the street or is it not a person walking across the street? Artificial intelligence is is very good at learning that because you can just go, you know, it thinks it was and you're like, no, no, you're wrong. Or, you you know, and you can teach it and it goes, oh, okay, I'll learn from that. Next time I won't make that mistake again. Whereas, um, yeah, stock markets and, and other factors where it's like, well, you know, something just went up. There could have been a thousand things that made it go up. You know which which one was most important, and the one that was most important this time might be a might be completely wrong next time. And so, um, yeah, that's um, that's yeah generally the problem. And then, and then the second part obviously is that the whole part about um, unfortunately, I think we're going to be in for a lot more written information that are coming at us from everywhere because um, these things can write so much faster. I think a lot of it will be completely useless, and and <laughs> you know, there's no It'll, it'll add nothing to, to 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 anything except make more noise, but um, uh, it'll sound good and look good. And so, so the idea, yeah. what you want is an AI to read it. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, so you get one AI to read it, another AI, and they can just go and talk to each other, and we'll just uh, carry on regardless. <laughs> kind of yeah. Middle, <laughs> well, <laughs> and it sort of it reminds me because we're talking about analyst stuff as well. It, it sort of reminds me a little bit of the way we we deal with that. Is that you know. You know, in the end, it what happens happens in a company. It makes money or does whatever, and then the management gets its accountants to to twist everything around and and mix it all up and, and put it in a format that makes them look good. Um, and then, as an analyst, you got to take that and try and undo that and get back to that original part about what was really going on. And that sounds like what you what you're talking there as you're um, yeah pulling that um, yeah pulling that out. <laughs> Mm. Now, um, I think you need to disappear a little early tonight, right? Do, so, yeah, yeah, 20 past. Yeah, so, okay. So got 15 minutes. Yeah, good. So l l let me just sort of move the conversation on then, because obviously next Tuesday the RBA is scheduled to have its meeting. Yep, and I think we've got the Fed this week, isn't it? The Fed is... Uh, tomorrow night or the night yeah, after? Yeah, I think it's Thursday morning we, we, we hear what mm. the Fed said. Uh, mm. And the expectation mostly is that the Fed's going to go 25. Um, we've got the Eurozone a little bit later, a bit later than that. We've got the Bank of England and we've got New Zealand. Um, mm. The retail numbers today were quite weak. So it was down 3.5% in December, which was weaker than expected. On the other hand, the inflation was a lot stronger, 7.8%, and uh, non-discretionary inflation at 8.4%. So most people, I think, not everybody, but most people are saying, yeah, the, the RBA is going to lift again. Um, some people are then saying they're going to stop, go sideways mm. or, what, or whatever. Um, I'd be interested to get your perspective in terms of, yeah. of, of you know, how you're, uh, how you're reading it, but also how you're reading what other people are seeing. Because to mm. my mind, some of the other stuff that's out there seems a bit nutty to me. Yeah. So, um, and, and I guess the other thing to add in is that jobs have been relatively strong as well. Yep. Uh, so I, I guess I just want to take a step back and go, the most lagging indicators we tend to have are jobs and inflation. <laughs> so they tend to be the very last factor that, that you get. So so when you go into a downturn, um, the jobs are the, the last thing to go. So you first you, you cut your advertising budget and then you start getting rid of a few other things and you, know, you don't have as many cakes for your smaller cakes for birthdays and whatever it is and you don't eat it, eat it less and eventually you go, okay, now things are in trouble. I've actually got to fire somebody and, and that sort of you know, tends to be one of the last things. So... Um, and then 
uh, you know, similar on the take up as well on the mm. other side is that as economies start to take off, you're like, oh, I've got all, you know, actually things are turning around and we're getting more sales in and all that stuff. Do I want to hire someone? Oh, actually, well, I don't want to hire them if I just have to fire them again. So I'll, I'll hold off and wait until I, I know for sure that, yes, you know, well, I'll make sure everyone's maxed out and now we, now we absolutely have to get somebody more. Um, and so, uh, uh, so I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm coming to from this one is, I look upon those numbers and say, well, that's telling us what was happening six months ago or, or, or nine months ago in terms of the, the the factors. Having said that, I think the RBA um, and and central banks uh, are, are pretty focused on those numbers and need to, and, and that's, I guess, the direct correlation for them is, okay, jobs were weak, um, therefore I should be raise, cutting rates, or jobs were strong, and therefore I should be uh, should be raising rates. Uh, I do think they're going to um, ke- uh, keep hiking, uh, largely because I think the rest of the world has been, mm. <laughs> and that they sort of feel as there's a there's a bit of a group think in there. Uh, I think they've probably already gone too far, but I don't know when they're going to pull back. Um, I think they'll be certainly getting nervous about some of the, the the data that's coming out in terms of the the week of forward data, but. Um, from and and this is pretty much true of the US as well, um, but I do think there's a there's a, a stronger a strong enough element within the central banks that's saying um, we don't want to be. Oh, I've, the, I've just forgotten the guy's name now. Arthur, there was a there was a Fed guy who cut cut rates uh, too early um, in the seventies, seventies, absolutely, 80s. Yep. yeah, yeah. And and then and and well, let we inflation. Had two, we had two bites at inflation because it didn't because it's happening yeah. the first time. Yeah, exactly. And and I think the lesson that uh, and and then you had uh, Volcker come out, Paul Volcker come out and cause a recession and and get rid of inflation, you know, forever, so to speak. And, and he's looked upon many central bankers as a hero. Mm. And and so if you're a central banker, um, do you want to be the guy who cut rates too early and let inflation get going again, or do you want to be the hero that conquered inflation? And, uh, and I think there is a predisposition for for central bankers to be only the hero, and um, regardless of whether the, the the situation then you know is warrants the same result, the same reaction as as, as the uh, situation now. And so yeah, I do think they've they've gone too far already. I think we're, we are headed for a recession. Um, maybe something will come out of left field and and surprise us and, and help us out. But I, but I think the odds are against it. So and did um, and did you say today the new head of APRA? was actually reported, I think, in the Australian as saying, well, if necessary, we can always reduce the the interest rate buffer on mortgage. Right. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, we're going into a downturn. Let's uh, let's let more people borrow more money. Exactly. That'll, yeah, what that'll, could that'll possibly solve. go wrong? <laughs> yeah, um, but it's just, it's just reflecting, you know, this is the Roy Morgan um, stress data, which uh, came out the other day and was significantly higher, right? So they're saying 1.1 million households in um, mortgage stress on their definition. Mine's a bit higher. Um, and we do know a lot of households are actually, um, you know, really struggling at the moment. Um, so there's definitely some nervousness within some halls within the RBA about what's happening. That's quite clear. But mm. I do agree with you that the biggest concern they have is that they actually let the inflation genie stay out the bottle too long. They yeah. would prefer to put the rates up a bit higher and keep them higher for longer. Mm. Um to make sure that they actually do deal with inflation. Now, whether in fact lifting interest rates is the best way to deal with inflation, particularly when the inflation was triggered partly by their quantitative um, um, uh, easing earlier on and then by 
you know, the pandemic and, pandemic and, and, uh, and Ukraine, etc., etc. Et yep. Yeah, it's an interesting question in, in, in its own right. But um, yeah, well, well, and the issue, yeah, some of the things um, you know, that we've seen some weakening in terms of uh, inflation numbers for in the US for the uh, uh, energy prices have come off. Uh, oh, sorry, oil oil prices have come off specifically. Um, we've also seen the gas prices have tanked. Uh, we've seen used cars starting to roll over. We've seen um, what else? Housing prices. These are all the ones that, as on food prices, sorry, no, food food prices are, are certainly falling away. These are the ones which the Fed doesn't really control. <laughs> like it's it's the um, you know arguably the ones it wants is um, uh, you know the, the the services type ones are the ones which it can sort of push up and down a bit more. They're the ones that haven't really moved that that much yet. Yep. So. Um, but the, the wages in the in the services sector, particularly in the US, have moved mm -hmm. up quite strongly. And interesting yeah. in the in the producer prices data from the ABS the other day, there were some big moves. You know, if you think of the value add at each stage of, on the production cycle, right? All mm -hmm. of those were putting price is up quite considerably. That has to still come flow through. So I don't think that inflation is naturally going to drop as quickly as many people say. I mean, I know there's some base effects there. But I think mm. there are other forces at work and the wages stuff, um, despite the fact that, of course, in real terms, wages are still going backwards. Yeah, well, the wages will be interesting. Mm. That's, I mean, in the US, it, they've obviously been running stronger. In, the, in Australia, we really haven't had wages grow. Well, they not really haven't, but just, they haven't grown at any, any particular strong rate. I mean, they're, no. they're um, going backwards in real terms. Yeah, mm. and... and um, uh, we've just opened the floodgates to more students and all that sort of yep. stuff, and so they're, they're unlikely to get going. Um, you know, it, it's a bit, it's, it does seem a bit strange in that, not strange, but you know, that it's one of the peculiarities of the central banking system, um, particularly in Australia, is that you know, they're congratulating themselves on keeping wages low. Um, and they're saying, well, just a minute, isn't, isn't, the, isn't the goal here is that we're meant to be sort of advancing the our economy and it's like well yeah we've got corporate corporate profits have been fantastic martin so know. yeah that's that's been great and but yeah, yeah wages we managed to keep a lid on wages because that keeps corporate profits high and you're like oh, sorry mm. is that is that really what you're meant to be doing yeah well wages um, wages uh, constraints is not a bug it's a feature of the way the economy was actually working for quite a long period of time and by the way people at the reserve bank i believe got more than four percent this last year in terms of pay rises all right don't do as i do do as i say right <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Well, anyway, well, well, did they? Did their unionized workforce get that as well? I they, they, they were the ones getting. Sure. The ones copying it, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, anyway, but let's let's not. Um, no, let's no, we won't, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But look, in the last two or three minutes before you disappear, um, mm. okay. So thoughts in terms of portfolio, right? How are you thinking about it now? And mm. you've always said, you know, I think about Plan A, but I also think about plan b because plan a might not work if something goes the wrong way so how are you balancing these 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 countervailing forces yeah that's right so okay so uh, just before christmas i flipped a bit bought a bit more equities um uh, mainly aussie stuff and and you know, reduced run weights to resources just because this whole china reopening it's like okay well, i'm not going to stand in the way for that train you, know, you can see that's where that's running uh i think that's coming to the point where and, and when i say i bought some more i'm not so like you know, it's like 5% more or something like that. We're not sort of swing massive swings in the portfolio. It's more just around the edges. Um, we're still very underweight equities overall. Um, lots of lots of cash, lots of bonds. 
the issue I guess I'm looking at now is saying, okay, markets have run up. Okay, so now I'm starting to, to reverse on those ones and, and, and take the take the top back off them. Um, the issue I've got going forward is I'm either right on the earnings and, and so there's quite considerable market downside or I'm wrong on the earnings and maybe markets can just keep running from here and maybe we're in a trading range, you know, we'll, we'll go up five or ten percent and it can, could fall back and and profits will keep growing and you know it'll in a few years time you won't sort of care that you paid a little bit more today i think that second scenario is unlikely but i'm aware it might happen and so um and i think there's enough just weird stuff going on with data all over the place where some stuff's booming and other stuff's busting and and you know there's there's just you're, you're looking at data and, and you know here's something that's down 30% and here's something that's that's up 30% and 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 that's base effects and it's you know all these other things going so um I guess I uh, I'm as attentive as I've ever been to trying to work out am I wrong uh I think we are headed for a session I do think there's a, a profits will get hit quite substantially but uh I'm looking as carefully as I ever have in case I've got that wrong and um you know when I'm not completely out of the market um we're, we're quite underweight We've got lots of cash if if things do fall back to, to buy things but um it's a uh yeah it's it's that balancing act of i think things are very uncertain and and we need to be sort of looking everywhere we can for, for more information oh yeah absolutely yeah you paused for a second then came back just at the time when you said you were uncertain so that's quite funny really oh okay right <laughs> I heard a beep and I wasn't quite sure what was what was happening. No, 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 no. I don't know what it was, but anyway, so that's good. Well, look, I want to say thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, your, your time once again, Damien. And uh, as always, you know, the um, the World Wealth Funds powered by Nucleus Wealth um, is is worth exploring if people want to get um, some thoughts about that core investment, not the f periphery, not the, you know, flat, the, the, the flowery yeah, stuff, yeah, around right. but core investments. That's what you guys do. Yeah, that's right. So you want... Send all your portfolio, regardless of whether it's with us or whoever it's with, you want high, highly liquid, uh, high quality assets to sit in that core of your portfolio. So blue chip shares, government bonds, cash, um, you know, international Aussie shares, things like that. Uh, then around that, now you can, you know, you want to buy some hedge funds, you want to buy small cap equities, you've got some particular stocks you want to be exposed to, you want corporate debt, you know, whatever it is, do that around the edges. But you should just have that core in the middle of those high quality assets because they're the ones that are going to give you that diversification. They're going to give you that those returns over the long over the long term, and then they're the ones when crises happen, you can actually sell those, um, you know, and 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 get to that liquidity if you need it. So for some people, that's 70, 80, 90, 100% of their portfolio. For other people, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a smaller amount and, and they've got lots of these ones around the edges and they're happy to, um, to, 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 you know, have a broader experience. But you need something in that, in that core. And that's where, yeah, that's what we do and love to help people with, um, yeah, give us a call or um, sign up and we can um, talk through. Yeah. So links and things below and, uh, you know, it's such a transparent process and uh, very important to have that uh, concentration at the core. Thank you, Damien. I really appreciate it. We'll it's we'll catch time. up again um, in a month's time and see where things have gone then in this great world of uncertainty. So I really appreciate your time tonight. I'm going to take you offline now. So you, Thanks, can, you run away. Thank you very much. See ya. See ya. Okay, so we've got a few minutes left just before um, the... Uh, uh, show finishes for me. Somebody asked a question earlier on, which I want to pick up because they asked the question about um, what happens 
when you've actually paid off your mortgage, but the deeds are still kept with the bank? That's a very good question. And a number of people do keep their deeds with the bank, even though they don't owe any money. And uh, one observation is that um, uh, it costs you a little bit sometimes to get your deeds back, and people don't necessarily want to pay that. The second is that some people um, find that subsequently they want to go and then borrow some more, and the deeds are already at the bank, so it's cheaper to do that. Um, but the other question, sometimes people are a bit worried about, well, does that give the bank some lien over the property? And the truth is, if you don't have um, a, a financial obligation to the bank relating to that um, particular debt, then really they don't have a lien. My own view is always, though, it's nice to get um, the uh, the bank off the deeds completely rather than <laughs> actually um, you know going down to zero, unless you think you're going to borrow again uh, you know, in, in, the, in the immediate term. Um, so there are a few savings by doing it. Some people do it because they just don't think about it. And I remember somebody I was talking to the other day who actually discovered that the bank had been sitting in as effectively as a zero owner of their property for 10 years. And then when they went to sell, they had to um, get them off. So it can be a bit of a barrier. So it's worth just sort of thinking it through. So there you go. Um, Jason, uh, thank you for that comment there. Um, Appreciate the viewpoints. Appreciate all the views. Yep. Stay well, everyone. Hopefully, we'll see you next time. Yeah, let's hope so. That too. Um, my own perspective on the um, RBA is they will raise next Tuesday. They'll probably do one or two more. And I think the markets are overestimating the fall. And um, I think we're going to see rates staying quite high. I do expect APRA to reduce the three um, percent buffer at some point quite soon to try and give people a little leeway. And uh, all of those things, I think, will uh, will come through. Um, and interestingly, I've been uh, tomorrow. I'm interviewing the guy who's started uh, publishing the maps showing property price moves. So we do the um, Andy Spruik videos with the Cookie Boys help. But um, I'm interviewing the guy who has been publishing these maps, and all that video will come up in a day or two, which should be quite interesting. I thought we were talking about that. And I should tell you that next week um, it's me. And I'll be talking about the latest with regard to households, stress and the property scenarios. The um, story there is that there's a lot to talk about because things are moving quite quickly and uh, we're going to do some of that. And uh, Cookie Boy said next <laughs> next Andy Spruit Vigo will be on. Well, we've got the Mandra data that you did a little while ago, uh, Cookie, um, but that's probably worth doing. But there's a whole lot of Brisbane stuff that I want to look at. And in fact, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to have Megan Wells on because I want to discuss in detail the price falls in Brisbane. CoreLogic came out and said that they're actually the fastest price falls ever in Australia, which is quite interesting. So it will be quite interesting to see how, how that plays out. And um, then the other thing is I think this Friday I'll be um, hopefully chatting with Tarek again and getting his perspective on the uh, various rate rises that are happening later in the week. Anyway, I'm going to uh, close it a little early tonight. So thank you very much for spending some time this evening. Thanks again to Damon for his time. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for all the questions. Thanks for the super chats. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Meantime, check out our other shows. Check out our shorts. We've been doing a few of those. And I would say if you've not seen the short clip that I did today where I took part of our um, rant with um, Edwin and focused in specifically on this property that had this massive extension at the back that was uncertified. 
Um, and we discussed that because it's quite a, <laughs> a salutary warning for anybody thinking about buying property at the moment. So if you haven't seen that, get, go look at that. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Keep safe. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week. And just before we go, of course, we should just visit the doggies. Sound asleep. Haven't moved. Um, they've just been the, pretty much there the whole of the evening. So there we are. Thanks very much. Take care. We'll see you next week. This is Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics signing off. Good night.